You are listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Today's message is from Pastor Ben Rush. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all the wisdom through the psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Jesus' call to his initial disciples included the phrase, follow me. He said it over and over again in Matthew 4.19 to the first two disciples, Peter and Andrew, he said, follow me. His first words to Levi in Mark chapter 2, verse 14 were, follow me. And then to Philip in John chapter 1, verse 43, were, follow me. To the rich young ruler who claimed to have followed all of the commandments closely, Jesus said this, go and sell everything you have and follow me. And in Luke 14, Jesus said that whoever does not deny themselves, carry their cross and follow him could not be his disciple. The question that I want to ask you today isn't, are you following someone, but who are you following? Before Christ, we followed something. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And even after following Jesus, Paul gives Timothy this 
warning. Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And later on in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 15, he says that some, in fact, have already turned to follow Satan. The question isn't, are you following, but who are you following? Today, we are starting a new series called Follow, and we'll explore together the ways in which we can experience transformation, both individually and as a community. We will look at what I believe that God is calling Citizens Church to in this season for the next 12 months at least, and we will explore three elements of following Jesus. The first week today is the Christ life. Next week will be the communal life, and the following week will be the charismatic life. Turn back with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse, uh, chapter three, verse 3. This is what Paul says, for you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul makes two claims in this verse. The first one is that followers of Jesus have died. The second is that disciples of Jesus are hidden with Christ in God. In the previous chapter, chapter 2, verse 20, what have we died to? He says that we have died to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Our old nature is dead. And in verse uh, one of chapter three, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says that the old self has died and the new self has been born. It has become. We are raised to new life with Christ and now our life is hidden with Christ uh, with, in God. The Greek word for hidden is Crypto, <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Because it, said, it means to be kept safe and to conceal uh, protectively, which I don't know if anybody had any crypto, but mine was not uh, kept safe or concealed protectively. <laughs> but the, the, the Greek word here is crypto. And for many, this is it. This is it right here. This is the gospel, period, case closed. You were in sin. Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live. He died the death that you couldn't die. He was raised again to new life. He ascended into heaven. He is exalted at the right hand of the Father. And while this is true, we still play an active role in our transformation. Some place a big emphasis on communal life. We do here at Citizens, but they place a, a, such an emphasis on communal life, it's above everything else. And there is a danger in placing all of the emphasis in community. I love what Friedrich Bonhoeffer says. He says this, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls, one who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings, and the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. I want us to be a church that lives life in community. We are transformed by community. Some place emphasis in the spiritual life on the charismatic 
I grew up in a very charismatic church. All of the emphasis was on the charismatic, the gifts, the spiritual gifts, and outward manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I want our church to be filled with the Spirit. And I would love for there to be prophecies and healings and for people to see visions. And I know some here that do, actually. But I love what the Apostle Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongue of men and angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body over to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. I want Citizens Church to be a church that is filled with the Spirit. I want to embrace the charismatic and orthodoxy at the same time where prophecies, faith, miracles are everyday experiences. But before we can press into communal life and before we can press into the charismatic life, we must live the Christ life. And the Christ life just begins with abiding. This is what uh, John says in John chapter 15. If you'll turn there for a moment, I'm going to grab my water. I forgot it. John 15, this is what he says. Jesus says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. And we will not become more like Jesus apart from abiding with Jesus. We will not be able to put our selfish desires to death without 
spending time with Jesus. This is why he says in in this uh, passage that I just read in verse four, remain or abide, your translation might say, in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So the question becomes, how do we remain in Jesus? How do we abide in Christ? How do I live the Christ's life? For over 2,000 years, there have been a set of ancient practices that the church has followed uh, in order to abide with Jesus. A few of them are prayer and fasting and meditation and scripture reading, scripture memory, lecto divina, silence and solitude, a Sabbath and rule of life. And at an existential level, most of us feel this kind of inner turmoil, if I'm honest, if you're honest with me, when it comes to talking about uh, being with Jesus. And this is because some people never begin. They never press beyond some of their burdens and some of their roadblocks that they have. And I just want to go through a few of them. It could be the trap of comparison, Everyone has that friend, right? I like to to call them like the direct line people. They pray and like God shows up. Everything is like they pray for something. God answers their prayer. He, He shows up in their house every night, gives them a vision every night. They always have a word of encouragement, a word of blessing. They always have joy. They give great hugs. Her name is LaTanya. But the thing is, like most every, for everyone else, we just kind of struggle with this. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of, I just, because you were laughing, I decided I'd just go for it. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have those friends we like to compare ourselves to, or maybe we don't like to, we just happen to compare ourselves to. And when you spend time with them, you just hear about all the amazing things that happen in their life, and they just seem to have this direct line to God. And you're like, I, I really don't feel like I have a direct line to God. And so you just feel discouraged. And some give up before they even start to try to abide with Christ and live the practices uh, that Jesus calls us into with prayer and fa- fasting and silence and solitude because they feel that if they don't do it exactly like the direct line person, uh, then they have failed. And, and this is not true. For others, it's performance anxiety. Performance anxiety can look all kinds of different ways. Uh, this is a, f- a fictional story, but it's like yesterday, I got up to sit silently with Jesus to listen to him, and uh, I didn't sleep well the night before, and so I ended up dozing off, or I started thinking about all of the things that I needed to get done during the day. That never happens to me. And so you start to think, well, this was my experience today, it has to be better tomorrow. Or you had an amazing time with the Lord. Like you're walking through your neighborhood, praying for people. You see these visions of what's going on inside of their house. And it feels like Jesus himself is walking with you. There are angels flying in the air. And you're like, this is amazing. I just feel this is the best prayer time I've ever had in my entire life. And you think that because it was like that one time, it's going to be like that every other time and on and on. And so when we live with this level of expectation, we set ourselves up uh, for failure. We put an unrealistic performance measurement on things that will most likely not be met. Again, the exact same way. 
The problem with performance anxiety is that there is an inordinate emphasis on what you are doing over who you are becoming. Some of my most fruitful times abiding with Jesus is when I don't have a clue what to pray and I open up my Bible and it's Chronicles and it's a genealogy list and I'm like, oh my gosh, not today. (laughs) And my prayer is simply, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. And he speaks to me. The times when I think it's going to be the best because I'm in like Romans chapter eight and I've got my, everything's lined up and I'm like, ugh. It just wasn't like I thought it was going to be today. Jesus comes through when we are weak. He is strong. For some, it's not comparison or performance anxiety. It's just shame. You're not really ashamed that you don't engage in the practices or the disciplines like other people. You just feel shame in relation to God. It's been so long since you've spent time with them and you feel like God has just kind of built up this anger towards you and that when you actually sit down to spend time with them, he's going to start listing out his complaints against you, his accusations against you. You don't know where to start. It feels overwhelming. You open your Bible and it just feels dull. You don't know where to begin. And the picture that you need to see and that I need to see in those moments is a loving father. Because Jesus, he loves us. The spirit loves us. They're both drawing us back to the father. And the picture that we need to remind ourselves of is the image of the prodigal son and the father that is there with open arms, just excited and ready to throw a party for the daughter or son that returns. And that's his call to you today. So no matter what place you are coming from, whether it be confusion or shame or performance anxiety or comparison or something else, Jesus is inviting you and me to discover all that we are longing for in him. Jesus often got away from the crowds and from the disciples to be alone with the Father in prayer. Jesus, fully God, also fully man, wanted to be alone with the Father, making big decisions. He would be off on his own, retreating up the mountain in the wilderness, in the lonely place, it says, to be with the Father. Before big things happened and he knew that something was going to happen, he would retreat and pray alone with the Father. After big things happened and he just like fed 5,000 people, he's like, I'm getting out of here. I got to go spend some time with the Father. This is crazy. You know, he just poured himself out and he would go retreat and receive from the Father. And that's his call to you. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed to depend on the Father to be filled back up again, how much more do we need to depend on the Father? Jesus' whole mission was to please the Father. He said, I I don't say anything apart from him. I I don't say anything that he doesn't speak to me first. And our whole mission is to die to our old self, be renewed in Christ, and do the things that the Spirit tells us to do. And none of this will happen apart from abiding. In my own life, I didn't begin to practice the spiritual disciplines until about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. It was 2011, and uh, I wouldn't have admitted it, but I believed that it was my own effort that would save me that I had to believe the right things and do the right things 
and to obtain more and more knowledge and check the box of prayer and Bible reading and that that, the box checking itself, would transform me. Does that make sense? I struggled to take a day off. I did not Sabbath. I didn't memorize scripture. I did not hear God's voice on a daily basis. I had no idea what it meant to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I thought I did, but I didn't. I didn't know how to sit down and silently just be and listen to the Father. And I would brag about fasting and scripture reading and all kinds of other ridiculous nonsense that I wish I didn't brag about. And this was after years as a follower of Jesus and after years of being in ministry. That's where I come from. I'm just a desperate guy that knows his limitations and is hungry for the Lord to transform me. That's the journey that I am on. We're all coming from different places this evening. Some of you are just overloaded with work. You work all the time, and whenever you aren't working, you're still working, if you know what I'm saying. You don't know how to turn off work or your phone or your brain. And you hear me saying, you need to do this new thing. You need to add this thing to your schedule. And that's not what I'm saying. Some of you know that, and you're anxious uh, about stopping or slowing down because you feel like if I stop or if I slow down, I'm going to miss out on the opportunity or the thing that I've been working for, and I want to be noticed, and I want to be recognized. And Jesus' call to you and me is to slow down and to stop and to rest. Some of you today are disenchanted with the church, and over the last 20 minutes, I've said five of the 10 trigger words on your list. (laughs) And you're cynical about this whole thing because you've been burned before. You've been in the church and you did the thing and somebody failed you. Someone disappointed you and your heart was broken. And Jesus' call to you and me today is to follow him. Some of you don't even know why you're here. Somebody dragged you here and they said, if you go to church with me, I'll take you to Carney's. After, if you're going to Carney's, I want to go. Let me know. I don't know. You've always thought that Christianity was for weak people, people that just needed a crutch or something to lean on, yet there is an emptiness inside of you that no relationship or sexual experience or career change will ever be able to fulfill. And Jesus is saying to you today, follow me. I want to give you a a few pragmatic steps, but first I want to say this. You have to find your own spiritual thumbprint. We all have our own thumbprints, and Jesus has created you different than he's created me. And so our pursuit should not be to copy one another. There are some great ways to start spending time with Jesus, but he's created all of us differently. Gary Thomas calls this a sacred pathway. And I'm going to give you a a few of these. Um, Some of you are a naturalist. You find God in nature. Some of you are drawn to the ascetic and the disciplines. You, You might be a traditionalist who loves history and liturgy, Advent and Lent. Some of you might feel more like an activist serving a great cause, really turns you on and gets you excited. Others of you might be a caregiver, someone that meets God in serving, Some of you might be a sensate, someone that senses God through your five senses. Some of you might be an enthusiast that loves to grow with others, like in in community. 
Some of you might be drawn to silence and solitude and be a little bit more contemplative. And some of you might be more intellectual and and you just love to learn. We should try these different things to find and discover what kind of person we are. And at times it's okay to try all of them. But you don't have to be one just because someone else said that you should. We should find our own thumbprint. There are also different learning styles. Some of you might be visual learners or auditory learners or tactile learners. You have to like get your hands dirty and, oh, I get it now. I did it. I'm kind of like that. Some of you might be a verbal learner. You learn by saying. I can be a little bit like that too. There's someone else in the room I had a conversation with over the phone this last week. I was like, you know... I was processing and I didn't know what I was going to say. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be getting to my point while I'm talking. And they were like, yeah, I do the same thing. Some of you might be that way. You learn by saying. Some of you might learn best in groups. You might be more logical, somebody that learns like in a linear process through study or imaginative. You're drawn to story and art and image. Each of us can find our own spiritual thumbprint. Don't put someone else's yoke on you and don't put your yoke on someone else. I'm going to read a story from John Tyson, my favorite pastor on the planet. He's a pastor in New York City, Church of the City. This is what he said. When I was 16, I dropped out of high school to do an apprenticeship in a meat factory as a butcher. During that time, I became a believer and was discipled by a young man who met me every morning before work to pray. From him, I gained a hunger for prayer for awakening early in the morning to seek God. You have to, when I'm saying this, you have to imagine like a deep Australian accent. Lord, I can't do it, but I wish I could. <laughs> Wakening every morning to seek God. No, no, no. He would say it like that. It's definitely more spiritual if you can have an accent. When I was 20 years old, I received an incredible scholarship to study theology in the United States, even though I didn't have a high school diploma. I began setting my alarm for 3.45 every morning so I could spend two hours praying before jogging for an hour, then having breakfast all before class began. It was in the middle of this process, I met a stunning girl, my, my wife now, Christy, who I fell hard for. We started hanging out and talking, and she asked, what time do you get up? I responded, I get up when Jesus got up at 3.45. Because it says in Mark 1.35, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place to pray. Sure enough, she started waking up early with me. We started meeting at 4 a.m. for scripture memory, intercession, and study. We began falling in love. Then a couple of mornings, Christy did not show up. I checked with her. Hey, are we on the same page here, trying to bend Western culture, getting up early and contending with God? She answered, yes, we are on the same page. And yet the next morning, Christy wasn't there. What's going on? She says, I'm not going to come in the mornings anymore. I'm going to sleep in. I asked why. She said, I want the same things you want for revival to come in our generation, but I just can't follow God like you follow God. I'm not you, and me trying to live God's call on your life is destroying my walk with God. So I'm out for the early morning prayer, and I'll see you at breakfast at 7 (laughs) a.m. This is what Tyson said next. Believe it or not, that was one of the most helpful things that anybody has ever said to me. I can't put my call and yoke on someone else and expect them to thrive. 
If we do that, if we moralize our call or we moralize our own current stage or season or moralize our preferences, then we start judging other people based on how well they live up to our call and it creates a cycle of death for other people. When we try to live up to some standard apart from God's calling on our life, it creates a shame spiral which leads to a type of slavery and death. Too often the message of our world and even of the church can be to feel guilty, try harder, get tired, quit, and then a little little while later to feel guilty and begin the cycle again. So we all have to find our own unique spiritual thumbprint. But before that, for many of us, we have to slow down. We just have to slow down. We have to embrace slowness in our over-busy, over-scheduled, over-productive culture. We can get more done in 60 seconds. I mean, goodness gracious, maybe it's just me. But my brain breaks after a while. Doing that like enough times, I'm like, ah, what's my name again? I don't know. God is asking us to slow down. In order to abide with Christ, we have to slow down. We have to slow down. If we want to hear from God Almighty and be receptive to the Spirit, abide in Christ, we have to slow down. Secondly, we have to learn how to embrace silence. We have to learn how to embrace silence. Some of you are scared of silence, and that's because you don't want to hear what Jesus has to say to you. You know already, and you're disobeying him. You're running from him. You don't want to stop. You don't want to slow down. You don't want to be quiet because you're scared of what you might discover. You're afraid of who you might see in the mirror. The beautiful thing is that Jesus is calling you to just come as you are. Just come as you are. Abide in him, he'll abide in you, and he'll produce the fruit. Not us. He'll produce the fruit. Finally, you need to write it down. You need to write it down. You got to schedule it. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm getting really excited right now because I love Google Calendar and all the neat colors. (laughs) I love it. And some of you are like, what's a calendar? I'm going to tell you a quick story. I love my son, Colbin. He doesn't know I'm going to talk about him. It's a joy of being a pastor's kid. He's 17 years old. He's a senior in high school. And he's one of the most wise people that I know. I didn't say he's the wisest person I know. He's one of the wisest people that I know. Next year, I don't know where he'll go after he graduates. I mean, he could go to Blinn next year. He could go to A&M next year, be a good Aggie, double gigs. Um, He could stay at home for a year or two. He could move out with some friends that live in a house. There are actually a couple groups of friends that live in houses I'm remembering now. He's got some options. He might go overseas and serve on a missions, in a missions organization for a year. We've got a family member that's going to be a missionary in Ecuador. If he could find a way to intern at Church of the City, New York, under the youth ministry, he would do that. Like, he would really love to do that. 
I have no idea what he's going to do. I have no clue. And here's my point. One of the biggest regrets in my life is that assuming that I would have more time, that I assumed I would have more time. Uh, We started having kids when I was young. I was 24. Ashley was 21. I think we'll be empty nesters by the time I'm 50. It doesn't make any sense. We've always lived a very hurried life in business, in ministry, no matter what. I love change, and I love being busy. At one point, someone said, Ben, I think you're a stress junkie. And I was like, I think, yeah, probably so. That sounds, yeah, like me. Uh, We were counting the other day. I think we moved 11 times in Colbin's life because I love change. And we didn't live in different cities. We would buy a house, you know, at a discount and like do some stuff to it and get out of capital gains and then sell it again and like move on to the next house. And we just did that over and over again. In fact, one time we moved three houses down the street just because we could. (laughs) It was the worst move in my entire life. (laughs) I have always chased a career. I've chased money. I've chased success. But one thing I haven't done well at is chasing my family, at least to my own standards. They would probably disagree with me, but I, to me, I'm like, man, there, I, there's so many opportunities that I have missed that I didn't focus on. If I could do it all over again, I would. And so Colbin is a senior, and I'm thinking, I've got a little time left with this guy that I, like, he can actually, he still does what I tell him to do kind of deal, <laughs> right? So in January, we started meeting every morning at 6. Now we meet at 5.30. That's not a brag. Pray for us. It's very difficult. We pray. We read our Bibles together. We talk about Jesus and school and driving and the future and life. And none of this would have happened if I didn't schedule it. I have thought about doing this for years. I've done it irregularly at different times in his life. But I've said, now, I, I, only, I only have a year left. What kind of impact can I make on his life in this next year? I've got to schedule it. I've got to write it down. I've got to be a student of my son. What are his hopes, his dreams, his fears, his goals? The same is true for you. You can't do the stuff that I'm talking about, spiritual formation, abiding in Christ, unless you schedule it. You can talk about it all you want to talk about. You can complain about your life and how busy you are and how many projects you have and how overwhelmed, oh my God, you don't understand. True, I don't. I don't know your life. I know my life. I'm overwhelmed. But I know that if I don't schedule time with Jesus and my son and my family, it's just not going to happen. So the challenge to you is to do the same. Don't put it off. Because in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you might be looking back saying, I wish I could do it all over again. So I'm challenging you to to wake up before this short life passes you by and enjoy the beautiful brilliance of abiding in Christ, being known by him and loving him and receiving his love. Like I said earlier, there, there are some some dreams and goals we have for our church. One day, 
We have five communities right now. I would love for us to have 50 communities in this city, that we would have a community in every neighborhood, a pastor on every street. If somebody, Acts 17, 26, says that God has ordained the exact times and places where people live so that someone else, if they're just reaching out, trying to find God, might find God through us, through you, through me. And so he's put you where you are on purpose. I want us to live a communal life. We talk about it all the time. I want us to engage in the spiritual gifts. I think that'd be amazing. But more than that, I feel like I will have failed as a pastor here at this church if at the end of all of our lives, we don't look back and say we missed it. I will feel like a failure if we get to the end of our lives and we say, I wish that we had learned how to abide in Christ. I wish that we were transformed by him, like Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, that we would be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him. I want us to chase Jesus with everything that we have and live the Christ life. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to get financial support, please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church podcast.